As we accompanied the dying to the threshold over the last twenty years, it became painfully clear how often death took people unawares. Even those who had months or even years of illness to prepare often lamented how completely unprepared they were for their death. In their last year, many people feel as if they have a second chance at growth and inner healing. Many speak of catching up with their lives just in the nick of time. Having observed the renewal that occurs for so many because they have been given a terminal diagnosis or because their natural wisdom inspired them to open more profoundly to life, we offer uh, this experiment to amplify our potential for healing by living the next year as if it were our last. On their deathbed, some people look back on their lives and are overwhelmed by a sense of failure. They have a closet full of regrets. They become disheartened when they reflect on how they have overlooked the preciousness of their relationships, forgotten the importance of finding their true work, and delayed what some call living my own life. Because they had so many parts of their life put away for, quote, later, unquote, they felt fragmented about unsatisfying work, unfinished business in relationship, and compromised lifestyles. But later comes much sooner than we expect, and often finds us burdened with unfulfilled dreams and a sense of incompletion. Many people though they had few other complaints, mentioned experiencing a certain remorse about having neglected spiritual growth. Many felt that if they had another year to live, it would be spent in a deeper sense of contemplation of life. All those who have tried to open to life say they would have lived differently if they had just one more year. Some displayed considerable dismay as well, that with all the things they had received, all the desires satisfied, all the little fulfillments, still there had been so little authentic joy in their lives. All spoke of joy as the mark of the fulfillment of the completion of their life. And many spoke of its absence as the mark of incompletion. We don't have to die feeling like a failure, full of shame and fear, unable to navigate by the clear light of our true heart. Indeed, that is what such an experiment as this has to offer, a year to live as consciously as possible, a year to finish business, to catch up with our lives and investigate and deal with our fear of death, to cultivate our true heart and find our essential wisdom and joy. A year to live as if that is all that remains. Many people say that if they had another year to live, they would change their work situation. Some say they would quit. 
most conceive that they would at least reduce the number of hours they work, perhaps change jobs or study some long-admired skill, even though there might be no job at the end of the rainbow. More than a few in the last years of their life have spoken of wanting to find their true work that even their advanced degrees did not satisfy. Some became carpenters or stonemasons. Others became therapists, sitting quietly by the bed of those yet more ill than themselves, joining the process of birth and death wholeheartedly, whole bodily, whole-mindedly. Many people speak of interests that had to be put aside because of family responsibilities, country, and social acceptability. Some, recognizing their desires, bought themselves the cello that they had always wanted, or the lathe, the canvas stretcher, or the new computer filled with graphic art programs. Many acknowledged a love of nature they had allowed to go dormant and were drawn to long walks in the woods and sitting quietly by the sea. Some went back to church. Some took up a meditation practice turning slowly toward the mystery, investigating wholeheartedly their own deathless nature. And for many, dissatisfied on their deathbed, there were those with tangled and unsatisfying relationships who in their last year healed so much unfinished business, offering up their heart to that which remained disheartened and in fear of change. For some, this resulted in a new living relationship, for others divorce, and a whole new course to their lives. Many seemed to concentrate on expanding their horizons so as to become yet more gracious in the eyes of someone they admired. For some, that was a lover or mate. For others, it was the sacred, the divine. But all of those who seemed to make the best use of a terminal diagnosis, began to change their relationship to relationship itself. They had a going out of unfinished business sale. Many said, if they were given yet another year, they would have adopted a gentler pace of life, changed their surroundings, been less preoccupied with social and material ambitions. Some said they would have moved to the country, some to the city. Some said they would have built new homes, others that they would have torn down old ones. But almost all said that they would have slowed down and stopped to smell, if not plant, the roses. I suspect that if most of the people we had worked with had done an experiment such as this sometime earlier in their life, they would have benefited greatly and experienced a somewhat easier death. This process was concocted, was imagined, was inspired by the 
momentum of those dying, completing their lives in such difficult situations with such enormous heart and depth of awareness. This one-year experiment in consciousness is an experiment in renewal intended to sharpen life and soften death while we still have the chance. How and where the answers to these essential questions are found is the subject and object of this practice. Some, I suspect, will come to this practice because of their fear of the unknown. Others, because they respect it. Some, because they sense the remarkable potential for dying consciously. Others, because they dread an unconscious departure. Or perhaps it is more accurate to say that a part of us all seeks relief from our fears, while another aspect causes our focus on life to intensify, to push us to look deeper into just who or what took birth, and who indeed it is that will someday die. Whatever our situation, the progression, sudden or gradual, is the same to remember to let go, and to trust the process. For some, this practice may be a romantic, even casual undertaking, a playing with death. For others, this may be the sweat-soaked struggle of a lifetime, attempting to catch up with itself, to pull itself together before it departs with its last breath. For the person with AIDS advanced cancer or ALS or for a dying child. This is no academic exploration. This is the work of a lifetime. It is the work that needs to be undertaken now from the deepest level available. For those who refuse to accept that they are dying, a deeper truth is offered. Preparing for death is one of the most profoundly healing acts of a lifetime. For all of us, there is an approach to the seemingly unapproachable. This is the life-affirming work of learning to stay present even under difficult circumstances, to embrace mental, physical, and spiritual pain using techniques suitable for each particular level of discomfort. This practice is intended to offer a healing process that allows a gradual completion of all that lies behind and a clear-eyed entrance into whatever may lay ahead. A process of clarity, insight, and closure. Socrates recommended that we should always be occupied in the practice of dying. So did the Dalai Lama. Recently, when someone asked him what he would like to do next, he answered that he was 58 years old and felt that it was time to complete his preparations for death. I, too, am 58 years old, two-thirds through an imaginary life, one-third of a lifetime from an imaginary death. When a journey is in our future, it is never too soon to check out the travel guides and customs and to learn the language of the world approaching. 
and it's never too late to complete our birth. As Buddha said, it doesn't matter how long you have forgotten, only how soon you remember. In many cultures and spiritual traditions, it is considered an act of wisdom to prepare for death throughout one's life. Gandhi, when shot three times in the chest, repeated the name of God as he fell from his wounds. Gandhi wasn't just having a good day. He had practiced for years to be fully alive in the moment, no matter what the circumstance. The divine was in his heart yesterday. So it was present today. In the Christian faith, one is prepared for death soon after the appearance of the body, baptism being a ritual water burial that heralds a new birth of the spirit. In Islam and Judaism, in Hinduism and Christianity, one is prepared throughout life to meet one's maker, the Great One. Even in Buddhism, where one is taught to rely more on supreme beingness than on any supreme being, one practices to meet one's maker, oneself, and discover the enormous luminosity of their own great nature. Though I have in many ways been preparing for death during the last 40 years of practicing and openness to and investigation of life, never has such a one-year experiment seemed so appropriate. Indeed, in the many books of possible afterlives and various traditions, such as the Christian Book of Hours or the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which attempt to remedy our recoiling from a three-headed demon swirling swords and holding severed heads or face a charging tiger, one teaching is always perfectly clear. That even dying does not overcome our fear of death. That the work to be done is to be done before we drop the body. As the God-drunken poet Kabir said, what we call salvation belongs to the time before death. If you don't break your ropes while you are alive, do you think ghosts will do it for you afterward? That is all absurd. What is found now is found then. So, with Kabir in my heart and Andrea touching both hands, we committed ourselves to living a year as though it were our last, to practice dying. <laughs>